yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports. It'd be great to be in attendance for such. Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek. You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SPORTSMECCA, you could get $20 off your first purchase. Get your seat at SeatGeek today. Could it be you calling me down? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. In preparation for March Madness, we've decided to talk some bracketology today. What better way to break down this topic than to bring in bracketology blogger and Washington, D.C.'s version of Joe Lenardi, Graham Duran. Graham, you know, thanks for coming on and we appreciate the time today. I'm excited to be here. Really uh, looking forward to March Madness and excited to talk with you guys about it. Yeah. So are you similar to Lenardi in a bunker? You know, I really like I, I, I think about it all the time. I basically have become uh, a bracket bunker guy. I usually walk around and this is not an exaggeration with about four notebooks at any given time because I'm keeping different track of whether it's, uh, you know, how somebody's going against their best teams that they've beaten, uh, the teams that have sweeps over another team. They won both games head to head. Uh, if one bubble team defeated another bubble team, I keep specific track of all of that. Uh, I have different notebooks about how uh, resumes stack up over history. So I look at every year for the past 15 years, I look at how uh, the committees handled those. So uh, yeah, I do have my own version of the bracket bunker and it's kind of scary. So we'll really start with this you know, episode being all dedicated to bracketology. I'll first ask you, Graham, you know, we have one week left, the conference championships from the, from the big conferences, just less than two weeks until Selection Sunday. We've had months and months of the regular season. In your opinion, what are your top eight teams that will earn one and two seeds on Selection Sunday? Well, I'm pretty confident in three teams appearing on the number one line. Uh, Gonzaga's efficiency has been so great throughout the year. They have some good wins. I wouldn't say excellent wins. I think they have good wins, uh, but they've just been so efficient throughout the year. I imagine Gonzaga is going to get there despite the loss to St. Mary's. I feel really confident about Baylor. They've put together a fantastic resume that they're matching with great efficiency metrics, and they just look the part. They've got talent. It's clear. Uh, Baylor, I definitely think, is going to be a number one seed, barring something catastrophic. And then the other team that I'm really confident in appearing on the one line is Arizona, and I have those in order right now, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Arizona. The fourth number one seed I have right now, and it's it's surprising uh, in some ways because they really struggled last night on the road at Fort Worth and uh, playing TCU. Kansas still has a really good, strong resume, but I think that fourth number one seed is really up in the air. I think you can make an argument for four different teams, uh, but I think Kansas gets there right now just due to their overall uh, strength of record, but specifically, uh, they've got a lot of top-end victories without uh, playing many uh, bad team. So they haven't played a lot of games in Q4, uh, Quadrant 4, 
Uh, if you were to look on an NCAA team sheet, they break those down. Uh, your, your top 25% games, 50% games, 75% games, 100% games, they haven't played many bad teams. So I think Kansas barely sneaks in there as the final number one seed right now. I expect all of those four to end up on either the first or the second line on Selection Sunday. It would take something truly surprising for them not to. Uh, the other four that I have right now is the top eight team. In order, I think Auburn is just barely outside the number one seed uh, line at this point. They have a really terrific strength of record. Uh, Duke, surprisingly, uh, because they haven't really played uh, a strong competition in the ACC, but Duke is just, they're looking the part. They had that win over Gonzaga on a neutral court. They beat a, a very good Kentucky team, which we didn't realize they were quite so good on opening night. But turns out that Kentucky team they beat on opening night was fantastic. Duke has two really high-end wins. I do wonder how the committee is going to ultimately end up treating them if they're in the conversation for the one line, simply because they only have beaten two teams that are likely to get single-digit seeds. Uh, so that would be extremely rare for a one seed to be uh, really just focused on two specific wins for their resume. Uh, and then the final two teams that I have compromising, uh, comprising the top eight teams uh, so far are Kentucky and Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has just put together such a strong resume, even though their efficiency hasn't been that good. At some point, you've got a sweep of Purdue. You've got an outright Big Ten championship. It's looking like it's going to be an outright title. Uh, they have a fantastic resume. I think Wisconsin is a little bit of a variable. I could still see the committee holding them back at a three seed at this point, but I think it's such a strong resume that you have to put them on the two line. Interesting take about Wisconsin. They've really have come around the last few weeks. I thought, you know, Wisconsin was more of a maybe a four seed. And I thought Purdue was one of those teams that is all most of the season has looked like a two seed. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, they got swept um, yesterday by Wisconsin. You mentioned the the teams that are, you know, solidified, really just playing for those top seeds. Let's move to the bubble teams now. What are some teams that are on the bubble that you think are, are safe entering conference tournament weekend and what teams that really, really need to win a few games or have to win their conference tournament to, to get in? Yeah, I think anytime you talk about the bubble, it's assumed that it can go bad. I mean, if somebody's talking about you being on the bubble, there's enough that you could you could be out of it. But I have seen some teams uh, that I just really disagree with some other bracketologists that think uh, these teams are still on the bubble, that they're not safe. Iowa State is one of them. Uh, I think a lot of people are still talking about them being on the bubble. I can't see it. They're nine and seven against quadrant one. Uh, they've just been terrific throughout the course of the year. Uh, they don't have the best efficiency metrics in the world, uh, but Iowa State has won games at a rate that I think puts them more likely to be a seven seed than out of the tournament, maybe even sneaking onto the six line if they finished strong uh, with a win at Baylor to finish the year. So I uh, really like this Iowa State team. I do not think they're a bubble team. I think they're in the tournament. Another team that comes to mind, Boise State. They just won an outright Mountain West Conference championship. Uh, some people are saying they're still on the bubble. They have some work to do. Completely disagree with that. I think Boise State and Iowa State are two teams that people are saying are really on the bubble, and they're not. They're in the tournament. If you're an uh, Iowa State fan, if you're a Boise State fan, go ahead and book those tickets. You're headed to the tournament. I promise you it's going to happen. You cannot be denied the tournament at this point. Uh, but then moving towards the bubble and the teams that I think really – 
are actually uh, in some danger. Some pretty big names. I think North Carolina isn't safe yet. I want to see how they play at Duke. Uh, probably going to be okay, but they cannot afford to get absolutely hammered in that game like they were previously at Dean Smith Center. If that happens again, they're going to enter the ACC tournament with some real work to do. Uh, do not get hammered by Duke, North Carolina. I know it's a, a tough ask going into Cameron, Coach K's final home game, uh, but really North Carolina may not be as safe as a lot of people think they are. Um, another team that I think is really right on that cut line uh, that could be really interesting to see is Notre Dame. Uh, they're second in the ACC, so they seem like they should really be in fantastic shape. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the metrics, they're just okay. They don't have terrific wins. They have Kentucky. Uh, but what happens if they lose this weekend and then maybe get beat by Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament? So it's a team that I think a lot of people think is safe, uh, but really, to me, is not quite safe yet. Interesting thoughts on Iowa State. I was never sold on them being an actual bubble team. I thought Iowa State, you know, entering this week at least, you know, did enough to, to secure themselves in – the tournament. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sort of glad that you kind of reaffirmed, you know, my positioning too about Iowa State. You know, you mentioned Notre Dame, how they're second in the ACC. ACC has not been a tough conference this year. Duke's, you know, they're going to, this was going to be, I think that this was their first outright regular season ACC championship, I think in, in over 10 years. ACC, doesn't look like they're going to have a lot of teams. Pac-12, probably a little bit more. You know, which of those conferences do you see having the the least participants in the field? I think the Pac-12 will get less teams in than the ACC, uh, mainly because I don't think Oregon's going to make it. Uh, they definitely are in the conversation, but I think we're going to end up seeing a three-bid Pac-12 Arizona on the one line, UCLA likely to end up as a four seed. And I think USC is really headed towards the six line. I could see them dropping to a seven. It's tough for me to imagine them getting up to a five. So I think those three teams are going to make it from the Pac-12, but I just don't see anybody else eventually making the tournament. Whereas with the ACC, I think Duke's definitely, uh, you know, obviously no doubt they're going to be one of those top uh, one or two seeds in the tournament. Uh, but when we go down the bracket, there are still other teams, Notre Dame and North Carolina we've already talked about, but what about Wake Forest? Miami, uh, even Virginia Tech, they have great efficiency metrics. They have not performed well uh, in as far as picking up quadrant one and quadrant two victories. And they also have two bad losses in quadrant three. Uh, but when you add all those teams up, you have to think there's going to be some additional bids uh, coming for the ACC. So I think the ACC will ultimately end up getting four, if not five teams into the bracket. Moving on to a team that I feel is going to be difficult for the committee to make a, an evaluation on come selection Sunday is Providence. They're 24 and four currently ninth in the country currently winning the big East. They did lose to Villanova yesterday. How do you view Providence? I feel like record wise, you can probably peg them as probably a two or three seed, but some people don't think they have a lot of great wins and they view them as maybe a four or five. So where do you view Providence? Uh, I do have Providence uh, on the four line right now. 
Uh, they are the Big East champions, and they're going to be the outright regular season Big East champions. They already clinched that because uh, they actually ended up playing a different number of games than Villanova. So even though Villanova got that season sweep, uh, Providence does end up with the outright Big East title. And I still think this is a team that really has a lot of great reasons to think they're going to be high up on the bracket, uh, both keep KPI and strength of record, which are two of the metrics on the, the team sheet that the NCAA officially released. Those are the two resume-based metrics. Uh, both have Providence in the top 10. So I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic if you're a Providence fan. At the same time, you got swept by Villanova. That was your chance to prove you're not just a team who's winning close games against decent competition, but you can beat the best of the best. They didn't do that. So despite being the outright Big East champion, uh, I think Providence is going to end up probably on the four line, but possibly down to a five seed. There's a lot of teams that are knocking on that door. Uh, I like UConn, Houston, Alabama, Arkansas, even maybe Texas. What if Texas ends the season well? So I think uh, looking at Providence, probably a four seed, but maybe a five at some point, uh, you just got to win convincingly and Providence really hasn't. So uh, Graham, uh, I want to discuss our favorite team, uh, the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, they have they had a rough game yesterday, unfortunately. So right now you have them as a one seed in the East. Um, I was listening to this pod a podcast, a KU podcast, and they were debating on which would be a better fit for KU, being the one seed in the East or the two seed in the Midwest. In your opinion, uh, which scenario would it be better for KU if for them to have a better chance of making a deep run in the tournament? Uh, I would tell you the one seed in the East and a very specific reason why, uh, even though I think there's a decent chance they could draw Duke or Villanova, which would have uh, some pretty good crowds for those teams uh, if they went to the East. Uh, in spe specifically why I think that is because Arizona and Baylor really look like they're going to end up being one seeds and they're going to prefer to go to the South and the Midwest as the regions they want to play in. Uh, therefore, uh, Kansas cannot play in the same region as Baylor, so they're likely to be drawing uh, as a two seed. They would be drawing Arizona as the one seed over there. So uh, I would much rather go to the east, uh, knowing uh, we're likely to avoid Arizona in that scenario, uh, just because I think Arizona is one of the two maybe three best teams in the country. Uh, I don't think you would be seeing any of the top five, probably maybe six teams in the country if you end up going to the East region as the number one seed. So uh, I just think the path is a little bit easier. Uh, one, one team I want to talk about that could be in the Midwest region who's had, who went off to a, had a slow start to begin the year, but is really playing really well, uh, Illinois. The Midwest region this year is in Chicago. Do you think uh, right now Illinois is going to be in the Midwest region? And uh, if so, uh, what do they need need to do to hang on to it? And then what would what would they uh, have to do to, in order to lose that uh, opportunity? I think Illinois uh, ended up getting a bad result when Wisconsin beat Purdue at home. And the reason I say that is that gives Wisconsin an inside track to pick up the last number two seed, the eighth overall spot, which would send them out west to play with Gonzaga. If that happens, Purdue's probably at the top of the three line. And where are they going to want to go? The Midwest. Therefore, the Midwest closes on Illinois because there's already a Big Ten team there. So I think the bigger issue Illinois has 
is the committee liked him at the bracket reveal a couple weeks ago, probably more than most bracketologists would have expected. And at the time, a big reason for the committee seemed to be Illinois blew out Wisconsin. And those two were comparable. So maybe Illinois got a little bit of a seed bump. Now they're not comparable. Wisconsin is clearly above Illinois at this point. And now that they're not comparable, I don't know that Illinois is going to get that same seed bump. So I think Illinois right now is still a four seed, but they could easily be dropping down to a five. Uh, let's, I want to go to the uh, Big 12 conference. We interviewed uh, Chris Patola like a couple months ago on the podcast, and we both thought at the time the Big 12 would get eight teams in. However, a couple other teams just didn't work out, and Oklahoma State has the postseason ban, so they're not eligible to compete in the tournament. So likely right now, six teams are going to get in. Is the automatic bid the only uh, chance for like a K-State or Oklahoma to get in the uh, NCAA tournament at this point? Is there like one more path they can do in uh, this weekend and then in uh, Kansas City next week? I think you hit directly on it, Sam. They would have to do damage in Kansas City. So definitely have to win this weekend if you're Kansas State and Oklahoma, but also got to do damage in Kansas City, which the good thing about being in the Big 12 is you can make that final and your resume will look fantastic all of a sudden. Uh, the big thing that they're running into isn't necessarily a lack of quality wins. It's going to be so, that the records are so close to 500. So I don't think Oklahoma and Kansas State are done as at-large candidates, but they're probably going to have to make the Big 12 championship game to get into the tournament. Maybe not, but probably. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, is all the Big 12 teams, would they be considered a- quad one and quad two teams just uh just curious yeah every single team in the big 12 right now is a quad one or quad two game uh, regardless of where you play them with the one exception uh if you visit uh west virginia that's a quad two game and if you host west virginia it's a quad three game but there's 78 in the net and so the quad one is road games against the top 75 or home games against the top 75. So actually Kansas and Baylor just lost a quadrant one victory uh, because they already won in Morgantown. And when West Virginia got beaten handily by Oklahoma this week, that knocked a quad one victory away from both of those teams. So uh, being that this would be a neutral court game for every team in Kansas City at the Big 12 championship, Every single game in that tournament is going to be either a quadrant one or quadrant two game for everybody, because on a neutral court, quad one is top 50 in the net and it's top 100 in the net for quadrant two. And then uh, who do you think has a better chance of getting in the tournament? If there was a seven team, do you do you want should we put more stock in Oklahoma or Kansas State? Uh, definitely Oklahoma uh, because their records are just a little bit better uh, and their efficiency metrics are a lot better. Uh, Kansas State has some really nice wins, uh, even wins that for a lot of people probably went under the radar, but to bracketologists were certainly noteworthy. They went on the road and beat TCU, beat Iowa State. Of course, the more notable wins winning at Texas, Texas Tech at home. So Kansas State has some really nice wins. Their problem is going to be they're so close to 500 that even if they win a few games here, uh, they've got to really probably make the Big 12 championship to have a legitimate shot because they're just too close to 500. And anytime you're close to 500, uh, it's pretty much a death knell for any team, regardless of how many uh, quality wins you've gotten. So a lot of scenario here. Um, if Baylor doesn't win the Big 12 tournament and KU ends up winning it or Texas Tech does, uh, 
what does that do for Baylor? Uh, not just seating wise, but will that put them in the Midwest region instead of the South? Like how critical is it for Baylor to uh, win the big 12 tournament next weekend? You know, I don't think they have to. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they perform uh, because if they lose really early in the big 12 tournament, say their first game in the quarterfinals, I could see them being moved out to the Midwest and Arizona getting the South but Arizona's closing this season with Stanford and Cal at home. Really? I mean, come on. Those are basically automatic wins for any team with a pulse. Uh, so Arizona's not really going to be adding to their resume much this year. And even in the Pac-12 tournament, we talked about it. They're probably going to have three teams uh, from the Pac-12 and the NCAA tournament. So they're not going to do a whole lot to help their resume. So as long as Baylor, I think, makes the semifinals, I think they're going to be safe uh, holding off Arizona as the second overall seed. And if they do that, I think Baylor's going to be staying in the South region, playing out of San Antonio. Definitely. Uh, now, another question I have um, is about Kentucky and the SEC with Auburn. Now, scenario, if Kentucky wins the SEC tournament next week and finishes the season out strong, what is their chances of getting on the one line? And is it likely... Is it more likely that they'll get the uh, the East, the number one seed in the East? Is that like the most realistic for Kentucky? And if and if Auburn wins the uh, SEC, uh, will Auburn end up getting the one seed because of that? Yeah, I think Auburn and Kentucky are both re most likely if they get on the one line, it's going to be that one seed in the East. I think they both have a similar problem, which is the SEC championship game is going to be on Sunday. And the selection committee really, if they can avoid it, they do not like to do any seating adjustments on that Sunday. They can if they feel it's necessary, but I don't think they're going to feel it's necessary, depending on what happens in the ACC tournament with Duke and also uh, particularly in the Big 12 tournament. I think if Kansas and Baylor both went out to the Big 12 championship game, I think their resumes would be so strong at that point uh, that they hold off. Uh, either Auburn or Kentucky on that Sunday because the committee would get to that point and say, we don't really care who won this game at this point. They've both done enough that they're going to be just above Auburn and Kentucky. And I think there's an interesting head-to-head -head component of all of this. Kansas obviously blown out at Allen Fieldhouse by Kentucky. Big feather in Kentucky's cap, but Kentucky lost to Auburn. It was on the road, but Auburn is also going to get that SEC regular season championship at Kentucky's expense. With Auburn owning the SEC regular season title, as well as a head-to-head -head win against Kentucky, I think Auburn is standing in the way of Kentucky getting that head-to-head -head comparison against Kansas. So uh, my guess, if I if I had to guess right now what's going to happen, I would say TCU and Kansas, or TCU and Texas both lose at Kansas. Kansas makes the Big 12 tournament final, and that will be enough. So college basketball used to have the RPI system. Now they switched it to the net. Do you agree with that decision and like explain to me what the RPI was and then what's the net? Like, can you like compare and give us like teach us about that? Yeah. So uh, one of my good friends is uh, the bracketologist for USA Today, Shelby Mass. And we used to do a podcast together uh, and one every week I would do a segment called Graham's Net Rant of the Week. And I would talk about the reasons I had problems with the net. So I do think the net is better than the RPI. Very simply, the RPI did not look at a whole lot. It looked at your record, it looked at your opponent's record, and then it looked at the records of your opponent's opponents. 
So it was a very simple formula that eventually ended up adding home and road neutral, but even originally didn't even have that component. But eventually it did uh, do a calculation of if it was a home game, you got 0.6 credit instead of if it was a road game, 1.4 credit, basically to give you a bump for, for playing home versus away. Uh, so the RPI was a very simple system. One thing it was fantastic at is figuring out what your strength of schedule was. And it really rewarded teams who avoided playing bad competition, which is something the selection committee has always liked because they really love to make out-of-conference games noteworthy. When you had the option to choose who you play, what did you do with it? So that was one benefit of the RPI. Uh, but really the net is so much better as a system. The net aims to add two things together. Look at the resume. How did you do when you played tough competition? When you played weak competition? Did you win these games? Did you lose these games? Where were they played? And it adds your efficiency. Were you winning by a lot? Were you losing by a little? All of those sort of things matter. And so the net really tries to, to add all of that together. The one problem that I have with the net is that it does have what they call the team value index, uh, which really is supposed to be the resume component of the net. But then you look at teams like Wisconsin and Providence, they have bad net numbers because it's still so heavily focused on efficiency that the resume plays a small component into your eventual rating. Uh, I would like to see them balance that out and start making it focused 50-50, team value index, efficiency. Let's get a realistic look at where these teams are. I'm tired of seeing teams like Providence sitting down there somewhere in the 20s or 30s when we know realistically they're somewhere in the teens. Excellent points there. Yeah. So for our viewers that will be listening to this to the for the first time potentially or you know what ways can our viewers keep track of your blog what ways can they track you on social media and you know if they have any other questions about bracketology how can they get a hold of you uh yeah graham dorn bracketology uh, dot wordpress.com uh but also on twitter at graham dorn uh, g-r-a-h-a-m-d-o-e-r-e-n uh ask anything you know i'm definitely willing to talk bracketology it's something that i like to do uh really every single day i'm chatting with other bracketologists either uh on twitter or we're just texting each other we we're bracket buddies uh, it's really a small community we love to talk bracketology we love to answer questions from anybody so really don't don't go bashful uh about asking where your particular team is how you think things are going to go because i like to dig into it it's stuff that uh just really is interesting to me and uh, something that definitely would not be a burden, but something that would just be a lot of fun. Yeah, really good. And we really appreciate you providing a lot of insight for us today. Very knowledgeable. A lot of the different terms with the net and the RPI that you, that Sam asked you, I thought, you know, you gave a great response to. We look forward to obviously the March Madness to begin in a few weeks, the NCAA tournament is very close and around the corner. So thank you for providing your insight on the different seeds, teams that could potentially make it or not make it. This was very informative. Thank you so much, Graham. Thank you, guys. It was a blast. Could it be you calling me down, 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 down? My foolish heart turns out and be on a beat. All that I am. That's all that you see.
For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.